0: amen 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 hey good morning welcome or good morning good evening good night I don't know really what time you're watching this message but welcome to victory at home yo did you love that did you love that worship set come on now that's what I'm talking about right all right come on we're gonna high fives all the way around High fives all the way I might walk off camera just to high five some band for a moment. Y'all don't see me, but you hear me. I'm high fiving bands. Come here, bring it. Give me some love. All right. I'm high fiving people. Look, all the guitar guys are walking away. I done came off camera. Come back in camera. Hey, welcome to Victory at Home. We're so glad that you are joining us. So glad you could be with us. Again, whether you are uh, in Rutherford County or whether you're watching from a different city or a different state. Again, we're just blessed to have you be a part of Victory Church. We like to take a moment and just always say welcome to our Victory family. We've had some that have joined our family since we have been going through this global pandemic. And so even though we haven't been able to see you face to face, we know you are family. We just want to say welcome. So glad that you're being with us, that you are with us, uh, especially for this series. This is a series that we're doing right now called The Journey. And the idea is that we are going through the book of John, we're, we're going through it chapter by chapter, and we have said that some chapters might take multiple weeks, but we are looking at John's writings and finding out, according to him, who is Jesus? And we really introduced this idea with the idea that, that people are interacting with Christ, or they're interacting with his church, at least, and they're walking away, and they're not being changed, they're not being fulfilled, and we wanted to kind of go back to the basics and find out, hey, hey who is Jesus? Jesus. And so we've been doing that. We've been in John chapter 1, where Jesus was the Lamb of God. John chapter 2, where we talked about Jesus being the resurrection. John chapter 3, we talked about Jesus is the new normal. And then John chapter 4, we talked about Jesus being the living water. And so today we are in John chapter 3. 5, John chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, I've been saying this whole series, I encourage you to get a paper Bible. I know a lot of us look at it on our phones or even watch on the screen as it comes up, but there's something about being able to take notes in your Bible, And, and if maybe that's not you, then I've encouraged you to get a journal, and I think it's really important for you in these journals to just be writing down what you're learning about Jesus, and here's why, because you might say, hey, look. I'm listening, I'm, I'm receiving it, I'm believing it, but two, three, four, five years from now when you are maybe in a certain season of your life and you're trying to figure out what Jesus is doing or trying to be reminded of who Jesus is, the, the power of being able to go back to a journal and remember some of the things you've learned and the attributes you've learned and who Jesus has. Become ultimately to you through this series. So get a journal, take notes of that. So again, you can revisit it. And what if you want to reteach this to somebody, right? What if you have the opportunity to disciple somebody and say, I want to teach them who Jesus is, and so you can refer to your notes for that. And so again, that 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 is something I'm really asking people to do for this series: is get a journal. Take notes. Also, don't forget that on our website, there are study guides every week that just kind of cover uh, different scriptures that I may not preach about in that particular chapter, as well as giving you some questions and just some different thoughts. And then also, register for the journey because when you register, it lets me know that you are on the journey with me. And um, I am sending out like extra notes throughout the week of just little thoughts and so on that I don't share here. So, is, there's a benefit to you registering. You're not just registering, but you're actually getting extra content. And so do that for me. All right, here we go. John chapter 5. I I am pretty convinced that it's going to take us at least two weeks to get through this chapter, but I want to start this week with the beginning half. There is so much happening in this chapter. I've actually preached from it many, many times, Um, but there's a particular really cool story, and we're going to start at verse 1. So John chapter 5, verse 1 and it starts like this, sometime later, so again, from the events of John chapter 4 happened, and then sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, it's fact, there in, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate is a pool. That pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth, Beth, Bethesda, sorry, called in Aramaic Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered Colonnades. So it's got this pool, and then there's kind of these, like, you know, five porches, you might say. And then verse 3 says, here at this pool is a great number of disabled people where they used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. This was very normal back during that day that these people would be laying around this pool. Now, if you notice, it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Now, depending on what version you're reading from, some people you might have a verse 4 that says, see footnote. Some of you might actually have a verse 4, and it's going to kind of explain what I'm about to tell you. There was this superstition some say it was real. Some say it was uh, just you know superstitious belief. But there was this idea that there in Bethesda, in this pool, this angel would show up, and the angel would come down to the pool and stir the water. And once the water was stirred, the first person to get into the water after that water was they couldn't see the angel, but they saw the water moving, and they thought, oh, an angel has come and stirred the water. The first person to get into the pool after the angel stirred the water would be healed. That was kind of this belief. And so while it is very true that many people believe that, The idea of it being real, obviously, we're assuming some people were healed or people wouldn't have kept coming back to that. They actually, years, years, years later, found, located this particular pool, which I found the picture of. I'm going to send it to those of you who have registered for the journey. I'm going to send it to you this week, and you can kind of see what we're talking about. But they they were able to check out the the actual pool itself, and there was a natural spring in it. And so they're saying that when that water was moving, it wasn't the angel, but it was that natural spring bubbling up, and that's where they thought it was an angel and so on. So anyway... Because there's not necessarily factual uh, evidence to support that, that's why some Bibles have it, some don't. The ones who do have it are implying what I'm saying, and some versions just true or just say, don't even put the verse in there uh, at all. So there, there you go, kind of some, some education on verse four. So we go to verse five that says, one who was there, so one individual who was at the pool had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Verse seven, sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, well, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. I want to talk to you for a moment from the idea, that's not fair. Do me a favor. Look at the person beside you and tell them. Say, that's not fair. If you're watching online, just put it in the comments right now. That's not fair. Darla and I have two girls, two precious girls. One's 10 and one is 5. And we have definitely entered into the season where probably one of the most common things that they say is, that's not fair. Right? I mean it's just it's always if um for example let's say that Casey Ray has to go take a nap and Veda doesn't. Veda gets to stay up and go outside and play, but Casey Ray has to go take a nap. Casey Ray makes sure to let us know. That's not fair, right? It's not it's not fair. Or if um Let's say that Veda has to do her chore right then, but her chore is bigger than Casey Ray's chore. She might look at us and go, oh, that, you well, know, that's not fair. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or if, if somebody's having dessert because they ate their dinner, but the other one's not getting dessert because they didn't eat their dinner, they would scream out, that's not fair. This is just the common, it's almost like the, the theme of our house right now. is like, our house is the that's not fair house. And sometimes, uh, Darla and I can get so angry about it that we express our anger towards it. And one day, uh, we were telling them, we were taking them, to, you, know, you, you know how blessed you are? You know how, how lucky you are? What do you mean that's not fair? You go through that whole parental thing. Of like, There's kids who aren't even eating food in other countries, and you're trying to pick which one you want. What do you mean that's not fair, right? You go through all that. And I had this thought. I said, I wonder if that's how God sometimes sees me. Right? Like, like if, if sometimes... God is watching me because I'm facing some type of situation in my life, and my response to that situation is, that's not fair. I, I think there's something inside of us that desires fairness, right? Like, like I, don't, I don't really know quite how to explain it. I'm not a doctor, but I just think there's something in us that desires fairness, In fact, I even think there's something in us that desires Jesus to be fair. I think there's something in us that desires fairness, and as a result of that, there's moments, whether we want to admit it or not, there's moments where we actually expect or desire or demand for Jesus to be fair. And I want to give you a a statement. So if you got your journals, get them ready, get your pen ready. I want to give you a statement that may be one of the most controversial statements I've ever said. And if you know uh, our church and my ability to say crazy things on stage, this could be a stretch. But I I think sometimes when people hear what I'm about to say, they will step back and, and they will not only doubt the fact of what I'm saying, but they will even try to argue it with certain things. and So let me say it, and then let me explain a little bit. Here's the idea for today. Jesus is not fair. So Jesus is the Lamb of God, hallelujah! Jesus is the resurrection, yes he is! Jesus is the new normal, Jesus is the living water, Jesus is not fair. Now look, before you cut the video off, (laughs) Before you religious scholars just decide to close the laptop, listen to me for a moment. Let, let me make the point, and I think that not only by the end of this will you agree with me, you won't be mad, you'll be glad that Jesus is not fair. Let me show you how I got there. I, I've preached on John chapter 5 many, many times in my life, and, and it's, it, because it's such a rich story and it has so much in it, it's really easy to develop a sermon off of the pool of Bethesda. And it's really easy to fall into kind of a pattern of like the three steps to get your miracle. You know what I mean? Because there's all these different things. And so as I was studying, I kept going, no, I don't want to go down that route. I want to stick on who Jesus is. I want, I want this story to somehow pull out something about the attributes and character of Jesus that maybe we haven't thought about so that as we're journaling who is Jesus, not only is he the living water and the resurrection, but could we find out something about Jesus in this story? That kind of develops who he is. And so I was reading John chapter 5, and I got to verse 3. Let me read this again. It says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, blame, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And as I was doing study studies, uh, historians actually say that they believe that at this time, because there was a festival going on, that at that pool would have been about 3,000 people. So, so when you look into this, again, it's just a pool. And then it's got these five kind of colonnades or five porches, and I'll show you the picture uh, if, if, you're, if you're joining the journey with us later this week, but it's got different levels. And according to historians, 3,000 people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, are just laying around waiting for this water to move so that they can then race to the pool because the first one that gets in the water gets healed, okay? So then, so that, that's the set. Then it goes, one who was there had been an uh, invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And so as I'm reading this and I'm studying and I'm trying to picture the scene, let me show you the scene I got. You ready? I got the scene of a preteen or a teenager's like slumber party. Do y'all remember having sleepovers when you were teenagers? You know what I mean? And, like, you would have, like, 10 or 12 of your friends come over, and everybody would be up all late night watching movies, and then everybody falls asleep. And then you wake up, and you got to go to the bathroom, right? It's the middle of the night, and everybody's, like, sleeping on each other. You know what I'm talking about? Because there's not enough room, so, like, legs are laying on legs, and heads are on other people's pillows. and like, It's so, you know, it's not social distancing. And so it's just not good. But, but it's just this, and so here's what, here's what you look like. Going to the bathroom, you start tiptoeing through people. Y'all ever done this? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you look like Tom Cruise on Mission Impossible, and you're just doing all these like, you're just finding little crevices in between people that you can step, and you get to the bathroom. So that's the picture I got in my head, because watch this. 3,000 people are laying in this small area. They are on top of each other. If nothing else, they want to get a leg up on one another. So they're pushing each other down and laying on them, and they're everywhere. And here comes Jesus. And here's what I picture. I picture Jesus tiptoeing through the people, right? Like, because you got to remember, these people probably haven't bathed in a long time, right? They probably haven't eaten. So it's just a terrible, terrible scene to begin with. And Jesus is kind of tiptoeing through the people, right? And then all of a sudden he sees, according to the Bible, this one person. And he leans down to him, And they have to be watching this conversation. Because let's just be honest. Not too many healthy people come through the pool at Bethesda. right? So for Jesus to walk through there, he would have got their attention. So everybody's watching Jesus. And Jesus is tiptoeing through. And he bends over to the guy. And he talks to him for a moment. And he says, do you want to be made well? And the guy says what he says. And then Jesus says, well, then get up. And then all of a sudden, the guy stands up. And everybody would have been like, whoa, did you see that? Right, they're like all laying down. Hey man, did you see that? He stood up. That was, that was amazing. That was a miracle, right? They're talking about that. They're freaking out. And watch this. And then all of a sudden, they turn around, and the guy gets his mat, and they begin to tiptoe back through the people. And then they leave, not healing anybody else. So potentially 3,000 people. In one small area that need a healing, Jesus comes through, heals one person, and then leaves. That is not fair, right? That doesn't doesn't seem fair to me. Listen to me. We can read all of the Gospels, and we will have a difficult time finding even one example where Jesus is being fair, you read through the entire, entire Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you're going to have a hard time finding just one example where Jesus is fair. For example, he, he fed a crowd, but he didn't feed every crowd, right? I mean, he healed a sick person, but he didn't heal every sick person. He, he, he raised some people from the dead. He didn't raise every dead person, right? So while Jesus did some miracles throughout the gospels, I wouldn't call him fair because while he did these things, he didn't do it for for everybody. Matter of fact, there was this one moment where this guy, the Bible refers to him as the young rich ruler, came to him and said, hey, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, to get eternal life, you have to give up everything that you have and you have to follow me for the rest of your life. Then Later in the story, Jesus is on the cross and he's about to die, and there's this guy beside him on the cross, and and he gives him eternal life with one minute left on the clock. So, so how is that fair? This guy has to give up, up everything that he has and follow him for the rest of his life. This guy just gets in by the skin of his teeth. They both get eternal life. How is it fair? What if Jesus is not fair? If you and I were honest, we've all had a moment in our life and maybe multiple moments in our life where we looked at it and said, you know what, that, that was unfair, right? Like imagine you're going to the grocery store and you see a parking space up close and you get all excited, right? And you, and you decide you're gonna back in, so you kind of drive past the parking space, and as you put it into reverse, somebody jumps in there and gets that parking space. Y'all ever had that happen, right? And you're like, ugh, that was not fair. It's unfair. We've all got, you know, or at least, I don't know how many of us are still in school, but we've all had that, that schoolmate that n- never studied as hard, right? Never worked as hard as we did, but then when the test grade came, they got a B and we got a D. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, They didn't study as hard as we did, but they got a better grade, and we're like, that's just not fair. It's just, it's just not fair. Or, or how about the employee who uh, hasn't been there as long as we've been there? They're not nearly as good at their job as we are, but then when promotion time comes, they get the promotion and we don't, right? It's not, it's not fair. How about this? I love this one. How about we all have a friend who just eats Cheetos and Twinkies all week, right, and they don't gain a pound, and yet we eat a kale chip once that entire week, and we gain two pounds, right, and we're like, it's just not fair. It's not fair. I did this, and they got that. It's just not fair, and now those are, those are some more lighthearted moments. I mean, there's, there's stuff like when you've had your third miscarriage and you can't quite seem to get pregnant and all the way through, and yet you've got a friend who's now on their fourth child, and they say things like, we weren't even trying, right? Like, that's, that's not fair. You know what I mean? That's just not, I want, she doesn't, that's not, that's not fair. Or the person whose mom and dad or parent or friend got sick, and they got healed, and yours passed away, and it's just not, it's just not fair. Now, that, that thing that happened to you when you were younger and yet it didn't happen, to—it's just, it's just not fair. What happens when it seems like it's not just life that's unfair, but it seems like Jesus is unfair too? What do you do when it doesn't just seem like life is unfair, but it seems like Jesus is unfair too? You know, our idea of fairness boils down to the perception of how our life is supposed to be, right? How we define fair boils down to to our perception of how life is supposed to be. Watch this, because fair is when things are in accordance to the standard, right? When when things are in accordance to the standard, they're fair. But here's my question, are you ready? Who sets the standard? If fair is when things are in accordance to a standard, who sets the standard? Do you get to set the standard? Do you get to set the standard? Or is it me? Is it them? Is it us? If fair deals with the standard, then who gets to set the standard? I'll give you a crazy thought. Watch this. In the time frame of the incidents at, at the Pool of Bethesda, the Jewish religious system was teaching, watch, that if somebody was sick, if somebody was blind, if somebody was lame, if somebody was paralyzed, it was because they had sinned. Okay? If they had become blind or become lame or become paralyzed throughout their life, the Jewish teaching was that it was a result of a sinful lifestyle that they had. Matter of fact, there's a moment in John chapter nine where the disciples are with Jesus and they see a man who's blind and they say, watch this, they say to Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? Here's why they asked that. Because if you were born blind or born lame or you were born paralyzed, the teaching was that that was was the, the cost you were paying for, their, for your parents' sin. One of the teachings was this that if a woman is pregnant and she's worshiping a false God, that her baby, once born, will pay for her sins. So that's what they're being taught. That if you are blind, paralyzed, lame, that you deserve it because of your sins, right? That's so why the disciples said, Who sinned, him or, or his parents? Because the teaching is that if they're blind, if they're lame, If they're paralyzed, then they deserved it. Watch this. According to their standard, this guy's issue was completely fair. Isn't that crazy? According to their standard, what he was dealing with was not unfair. It was fair. And if we allow what is fair to be defined by certain standards, your standard, my standard, then there are moments where what you consider unfair, I'll consider fair, right? And watch this. And what is fair to me may not be fair to you. And what's fair to you may not be fair to me. And what's fair to us may not be fair to them. And what's fair to them may not be fair to us. Watch this. Jesus never pretended to be fair because fair is fickle. Fair is fickle and Jesus is not fickle. So he never pretended to be fair. It's not something he ever wanted to be because he understood that fair was depending on what standards you decided to choose that day. And that's fickle. So Jesus said, I'm not trying to be fair. Can can I show you probably one of the best revelations I got this week that I just thought was so hilarious, okay? So let's go back to John chapter 5, go back to the story. And you've got this interaction between this guy and Jesus, and this guy's getting ready to tell Jesus his situation. Because Jesus says, hey, do you want to get made well? Do you want to get made well? So I think it's verse 6. Give me verse 6 real quick. Um, And so that's what Jesus tells the guy. He's like, do you want to be made well? And here's what he tells Jesus. He says, here's the deal. He's like, sometimes... When the water stirred, I can't seem to get to the pool, right? So here we go. He says, sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Jesus said, do you want to be made well? He says, of course I do. But when the water stirred, I have no one to help me into the pool because I don't have legs. So I can kind of army crawl, right? But I'm not going to get very far. And then watch what he says. While I'm trying to get in, while I'm... Trying to get there, someone else beats me to it. Okay? Rewind. Don't you want to get, well, of course I do, but I can't get to the pool in time because while I'm trying to get there, somebody else beats me there. While I'm trying to get that parking space, somebody else takes it. What is he saying? This is unfair. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, this this system, oh boy, this whole thing is broken because I have to get there and look at me. I can't get there. This process is unfair. That's what he's saying. Clear as day. This is unfair. Now watch this. This was my favorite revelation. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's my favorite revelation. So he said, this is unfair. Jesus says, all right, fine, get up and he's healed, right? The Bible says that then Jesus disappears, and then the Bible says this man leaves and goes to church to worship. I searched this entire, these these verses in every version of the Bible. You know what I couldn't find? I couldn't find one verse where this man did this right here. Excuse me, sir, because he doesn't know it's Jesus at this point. Excuse me, sir, hold on, hold on. Come back here for a second. It was amazing what you did for me, but all of these other people are sick too and it would be very unfair for you to heal me and not heal them so before you leave come back for a second before you leave heal all of them and then and then I'll feel better about the situation because I am committed to fairness did y'all see that verse oh me neither that's weird Because he was all about how unfair it was, right? This is unfair, man. I can't get to the pool. And on my way to the pool, somebody beats me to the pool. And this is unfair. And Jesus says, fine, get up, get up. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's still unfair, right? The situation is still very unfair. But he got his miracle. And isn't it funny that once we get our miracle, we start to forget about what's fair? I'm about to say something right now that, again, if you're taking notes, you need to put this in your journal because this will shake literally your philosophy. We are bothered by a lack of fairness until we get our way. And once we get our way, we tend to become fine about what's unfair. My gosh. Isn't that true? We are all, I can't believe it. That is ungodly. That is unfair. That is unbiblical. Well, here, here's this. Oh, okay, cool. See you later. You ever been in a traffic jam and everybody's stuck and you're like, this is ridiculous. Somebody should call T dot. I cannot believe it. I'm sitting. All of a sudden, your lane goes. You're like, oh, well, this is pretty cool. All right. It's like, well, the other two lanes didn't go. I don't really care about them, right? Because you got your way. And this guy literally shows us, he's like, This whole system's broken. I can't believe it. You got to do something. And he's like, You're healed. And he's like, All right, well, let's get out of here. Because once I get my way, what used to bother me about a lack of fairness, I tend to become fine with. I had this happen to me recently. I was not, I did not feel good about it. Um, so let me give you a little bit of a backstory. When, when the pandemic, started beginning of this year we had so much momentum as a church we had seen some of our biggest numbers we had we had so many cool uh ideas and vision things in place for for the year of 2020 thankfully because of your faithfulness we've pretty much done all of those things still but there was just all kinds of excitement and it was crazy you know and then and then the pandemic hits and I'll be honest with you I thought I thought it was gonna last a couple of weeks um, if, if, if you've been following with us this entire time, the first message I was in Bree and Jeff's house. Uh, the messages after that I was just in my living room. Like I thought, you know, two or three or four weeks and we'll be done. We'll be right back. We'll be back normal, no big deal. You know, then a month goes by and then two months go by and this thing's continuing. And then all of a sudden, watch this. Then all of a sudden, everything shut down, right? Remember that? Like, like everything shut down. And at that moment, everything was fair because nobody could have church, right? Nobody could leave their house. Nobody could, no, no, nobody could have uh meetings. Everybody was online doing their service. Like it was cool, it was fair. No big deal. But then a couple months go by, and, and different things start happening, and churches start opening. Every church that has its own building, we don't have our own building, we rent school obviously, uh, starts opening one by one by one by one, and I'm watching this happen, and all the churches that are in Smyrna start opening, and people are like, when are we going to open? And I'm like, I don't know, because we can't, because the school's got different restrictions. And so I kind of sat back and watch this, and I went, this is so unfair. You know what I mean? Like, like we want to meet, I mean, there's churches that are meeting right now, they're open, and 10% of their congregation's going because they don't want to go. And we got people who are like, I, I want to knock down the doors to get in, and we can't meet. Like, I was like, man, this is so unfair. And then I was hanging out with a couple of my pastor buddies a few weeks ago. One guy planted a church in Nashville. One guy planted a church in Nolansville, And we get to talking, and I'm telling them what we're doing and how we're recording in the school and different things and how we're able to let just a few people in and different things. And they say, well, you know what? We're not even able to go to the school at all. They said, we still have to film in our living rooms. They said, and they're even telling us that the school may not ever let us back in. And then one guy's talking about how his trailer got stolen with all of his equipment. And, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting back going, well, this ain't so bad after all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, hey, at least we got the school. And, you know, at least we got all of our equipment. At least we got a free place to store it. And like, And this, this is awesome, right? Because all of a sudden, we can be all upset about it not being fair, until all of a sudden things go our way, and then we don't care so much about being fair anymore. Y'all remember the statement "favor ain't fair"? Remember that? That's like a church statement, right? I, normally, when I hear it, I hear it from people who are Christians. Like someone they'll get a parking space and be like, "Ooh, favor ain't fair." You know what I'm go to the grocery store, and all of a sudden, like their food's on sale or something. It's like, "Ooh, favor ain't fair." And you know, it is what it is, right? But listen, favor is favor is only not fair when you have the favor. Right? Nobody's out there going, hey, did you get some? Oh, man, favor ain't fair. Good for you. It's like, no, I'm miserable. I want favor. Because there's only a time, there's, the only time that we are ever okay with a lack of fairness is when we are on the upper hand. The moment we start to be on the losing side, we want things to be fair. But once we're on the winning side, it's like, oh, that's okay okay this going the way y'all thought it was gonna go we ain't even done see fair means something different to all of us for example to some of us fair is everyone getting the same right A- everyone gets same. if everyone can get the same it's fair now watch this <laughs> I don't want I don't want to go down to somebody's level right but if everybody's gonna get the same, I either want them to get my current level or I wanna get somebody else's higher level. You know what I mean? But that's fair when everyone gets the same. Other people, watch this. Fair means uh, what you value being valued, right? That, that's what fair is to you when whatever you value is what's getting valued. To some, fair is getting what you expected. Like if I, if I get what I expected out of this situation, because we all have these kind of preconceived of what, how this is going to go and what this is going to look like. And if we get what we expect, then it's fair. But if it, if it doesn't look like the way I expected it, then all of a sudden it lacks fairness, right? And then to some of us, fair is getting what we think we deserve. So with that being said, fair being able to be so many different things, fair being so fickle. Listen to me when you really step back and look at what you and I consider to be fair, here's my new thought. Thank God Jesus was not fair. Right? Knowing the way you and I measure fairness, knowing the way that fair is fickle, knowing that I want fair as long as it's the way I expected it, knowing that fair is only when it goes the way I think it should go knowing that fair is when I get what I believe I deserve knowing that that's fair then I step back and look and go thank God that Jesus is not fair because if Jesus was fair I would get what I deserve but thank God that Jesus is not fair you know When you look at John chapter five at first, it's really easy to think that Jesus is playing favorites. That for some reason that we think the Bible strategically left out that Jesus walks onto this place and sees this particular man and says, hey, I want to heal this particular man that Jesus obviously has an agenda and that Jesus is picking favorites. That's what we do. But what if I told you that there's more to the story? What if I told you that Jesus knew exactly where he was going. What if I told you that Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda on purpose? And there's a reason why he didn't go to another watering hole or another area where lame and paralyzed and blind people would hang out. What if I told you he went to the pool of Bethesda on purpose? And what if I told you that he went to the guy who had been there for 38 years on purpose? What if I told you there was a reason? What if I told you this isn't just some random story? What if I told you that this has nothing to do with you finding three ways to get a miracle? What if I told you that Jesus is setting something in stone and reminding us of something he already said and he's making it clear to people by what he did at the pool of Bethesda? Watch this. John chapter five, verses one and two. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. One of the Jewish festivals is happening, so that means it would have been crowded right? With not just Jewish people, but the Jewish religious leaders. Everybody would have been there. So anything that Jesus does, the word would have got around, right? Verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem near the what? Near the what? The Sheep Gate, a pool. There in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate is a pool. So if you read that correctly, the focus of the attention isn't even the Pool of Bethesda. It's what? It's the Sheep Gate. Now, why does that matter? Because what what that meant was that over here is where they had all of the animals for the sacrifice. Because of the location of the Pool of Bethesda, this became the pool where they washed the animals for the sacrifice. That's why it's important for you to know this. So over here, again, we talked about this in week one, Jesus being the Lamb of God and how everybody had to sacrifice Well, during festivals, there was this huge celebration of sacrifice, right? So you'd have to go get the animal and then you'd have to wash it at the pool. I believe that this was another reason why this superstitious belief came. is because I think people started to believe, well, if we're washing these, uh, these sacred sacrifices, then there must be some type of you know, spiritual influence there. And I think that's what really made people start hanging out there. So again, there's this, there's this pool, and the pool is where you washed the sacrifices for the old covenant. Okay? Now, I told you a couple weeks ago that Jesus didn't just show up to die for our sins. He did definitely die for our sins and he did resurrect for them but listen to me Jesus came for so much more Jesus came to establish a new normal we talked about that that the old normal was this law process where you had to do these things and then you had to be accepted and Jesus's new normal was you simply believe and you are saved now watch this the pool at Bethesda had become a symbolic representation Of the old covenant. Right off the bat, it's where you wash the sacrifices. This place would have had such a high reputation. It would have been something that people valued because it's where they go to. All Jesus had to do was show up there and it was already clear that he was doing something uh, bigger and grander and talking about the old normal. But there's even more step back you see some some even some more symbolic things all right so let me, let me walk through this with you right off the bat they have the same setting let me explain the old covenant setting was this you have a group of people who cannot save themselves right the, the, the bible when it's talking about in john chapter 5 one of the versions actually instead of calling the people blind lame and paralyzed it calls them uh impotent which means that they can't help themselves. So you got the same setting. So the Pool of Bethesda and the Old Covenant have the same setting, right? Now watch this. They also have the same saving system. What's the pool? What's the saving agent of the Pool of, the pool of Bethesda? It's the pool, right? So in the Old Covenant, it's the law. It's the sacrificing of the lamb, right? It's that. So they both have a saving agent, and then watch this. And then they both have similar stipulations. When it comes to the Pool of Bethesda, you gotta be the first one that gets in. When it comes to the Old Covenant, you gotta have this perfect lamb and you gotta follow these rules. There was such a parallel between the Pool of Bethesda and the Old Covenant. Jesus knew where he was going, Jesus made a beeline for that pool. Not because there were 3,000 people there who needed healing, he didn't heal all 3,000 of them. He went there because that pool was a representation of the old covenant, and Jesus was there to establish a new covenant, right? So watch this, this was, I got this this morning, it was one of my favorite lines the Lord gave me. He walks up to this man, and he starts to be able to realize like, hey, just so you know, I'm here to flip all of this on its head. I'm here to do it totally different, right? And here's what my favorite part about this was. Not only is Jesus fixing to establish a new saving system, not only is he going to establish or take away stipulations, all that, washes, watch this. He told the man, uh, the man told him, I keep trying to get to the pool. Remember? I keep trying to get there. Because that was the largest symbol of the pool of Bethesda. You got to what? Get there. Right? If you'll just get there. The man said, I'm trying to. The biggest symbol of the old covenant is you just got to do it. If you can just do it. I'm trying to. You can just live by this law. I'm trying to. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, both the pool of Bethesda and the old covenant were all about you getting to something. Jesus said, I came to you. Come on. That dude wasn't asking for Jesus. He wasn't trying to get to Jesus. Jesus came to him. Here's what Jesus wanted people to understand the old covenant, you get what you deserve. So it's fair. But Jesus said, I'm not fair. Because I came to establish a new covenant, watch this, where you don't get what you deserve, I get, Jesus, what you deserve. And you get what he deserves. Wow. I'll sit down on that note. Jesus can't be fair. Because if Jesus is fair, we have to get what we deserve. And Jesus said, I came so that you can have what I deserve and I can get what you deserve. <laughs> the other day, we had some people coming over to our house and I wanted the kitchen table to be cleaned off. It had all the girls' stuff on it. I said, girls, come come, clean the table. And there's stuff all over it. Veda comes in and within seconds, she, she comes in and within seconds, she's walking back out and she's got like two things in her hand. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What, are what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, we gotta get this. She goes, I cleaned up my stuff. Right? She said everything else is Casey Ray's. Because inside of us is a desire for fairness, we do not clean up other people's mess. That's not my mess. I clean up, I got my stuff. That's Casey Ray's stuff. That's your mess. I cleaned up my mess. That's your mess. That, my friends, is fairness. Thank God that Jesus is not fair because he chose to clean up what we messed up. I've never heard my Jesus say, That's Troy's mess. That's Troy's mess. I got mine. Jesus said, Look, the system's so broken. And I know you want me to be fair by your standards, and I know you want me to be fair by your system, and I know you want me to be fair judged off what you're going through and what your position is and, and who you are, but Jesus can't be fair because if Jesus is fair, you have to get what you deserve. And hear me, you do not want what you deserve. Thank God Jesus is not fair. And then I thought, why that guy? He's made enough of a statement by showing up to the Pool of Bethesda. It's in the middle of a festival, all these people. You better believe that message is going to get across quick, and we'll see it next week. It does. The message starts to get around. Oh, somebody just got here to the Pool of Bethesda. Whoa, whoa, it's the Sabbath. Whoa, I cannot wait to preach that. It's going to be so much fun. world starts to travel around. But why did Jesus pick the guy? He did enough. He could have walked and picked the first dude. Right? Didn't have to go tiptoeing through all everybody who stinks and smells bad. He could have picked the first guy, and the miracle would have still been great. Why that guy? And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit tell me: the Bible does all it can to help you understand how hopeless this guy was. He had been there for 38 years. That's a really long time. The understanding is that people would have carried him to the pool daily and then carried him home. That'd get old after a week, right? Can you imagine who must have volunteered to carry him to that pool? I wonder how hopeless they were, right? Then it goes on to say he had been there so long that Jesus went to him because he had been there for so long. And then he gives that incredible statement of, I'm trying to. But every time I try to do it, I don't make it and somebody beats me there. I think Jesus chose him because out of everybody there, Jesus knew he was the most hopeless. He was the least likely. You know what I mean? And the more that I'm learning who Jesus is, the more I'm learning that he strategically does things to go after the person who thinks they are the least likely. Well, not me. I understand that Jesus forgives them or loves them, but he doesn't know what I did. He'll never forgive what I did. People who are literally the most hopeless individuals, I think, pay attention, just just get real, real close to your TV for a second, listen to this. I think That Jesus Christ knew that in 2020, we would still be trying to communicate the gospel of the new normal and the fact that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ can be saved. And I think Jesus knew that there would be people like you who thought they were hopeless, who thought they were least likely, who thought because of what they did and because of who they are and because of their past and because of their struggle and because of the fact they keep trying to. And they can't quite do it. They would get to a point mentally where they said, it's not for me. And so Jesus said, I'm gonna go after that guy because he's been here the longest, because he suffered the most, because he's the least likely, because he's the most hopeless. And literally, thousands of years later, when people read this story, there'll be somebody preaching saying Jesus did it because he wanted you to understand that no matter who you are, or how far you are, or how least likely you are or how hopeless you are, he died for you. For you. He is not fair because of you, because of me. And I thank God that Jesus is not fair. Father, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you for what you came to establish. I just love learning that the gospel and a relationship with you is so much more than just the crucifixion. But it's about you establishing a new normal for my life. Lord, in this same chapter, you go on to say that you don't say anything that's not your Father's words and you don't do anything that your Father didn't tell you to do and so that when we see you, we see the Father. I think we've been told a lot of things about God over the past however many years. We've heard religious statements and we've heard sermons preached and parents say things, and we've somehow developed this picture of who you are. And I think that's what moves us to a place of wanting you to be fair. And I pray that as we're on this journey together, we start to realize who you really are. Because here's the catch. If Jesus only says what you say, and if Jesus only does what you do, then when we learn who Jesus is, we automatically learn who God is. I thank you for your mercy and for your grace, every person that's watching. I thank you for the person who's watching, who's listening, who wouldn't have watched and wouldn't have listened five, six months ago but they're hearing that you are the lamb of God and they're hearing that you are the resurrection and they're hearing that you are the living water for a thirsty world and they're hearing that you came to establish a new normal and today, they are hearing that you are not fair, but you chose to die for them. You chose to clean up their mess. You chose to establish something new no matter how hopeless and no matter how least likely they feel. hear me, if you're listening, that's you just right now. just, Just put your hands in the air and just say, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. Come into my heart. Speak to me. Just take a moment and turn your attention on Jesus for just a few moments. Just allow him to speak to your heart. Allow your mind to be transformed on who you think God is and who you are now learning God actually is. And with that same spirit and that same mindset, just begin to take this time and worship for just a moment. And begin to tell him how great he is. Come on and just worship. Hallelujah.